0: Small Biz Stories is brought to you by Constant Contact. Constant Contact is committed to helping small businesses and nonprofits connect to new and existing customers with email marketing. You can be a marketer. All it takes is Constant Contact. Find out more at ConstantContact.com. I would say most people were really polite. Yes. And listened and cheerleaded us. And I'm certain that as soon as we walked away, they were like, That was those morons.
1: <laughs> to our faces, it was, oh, good for you guys. That's great. And as soon as they, we turn around, that'll never work.
0: Uh, we, we've at least had one person admit to it.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. Who, who, you know, probably three or four years ago came back and said, when you told me you were going to do this, I thought you were nuts. And that would never work. And here you are. Like, yeah, see? <laughs>
1: Ten years later. Yes. Ten years
2: later. Yes. That's Libby and Brad Burkey. Co founders of So All May Eat, or SAME Cafe, Colorado's first pay what you can restaurant. Today, they'll share what it takes to run a successful nonprofit restaurant. From their early sacrifices to the life changing moments that make it all worth it, you'll learn how they transformed a unique idea into a thriving business. More than 50% of small businesses fail within the first five years. These are the stories of those who beat the odds. My name is Dave Charest, and I'll be your host as we share the stories of some of the bravest people you'll ever meet, small business owners. You'll hear how they got started, their biggest challenges, and their dreams for the future. Same Cafe sits on Colfax Avenue, the longest commercial street in the United States. Walk along this 26-mile street and And you'll come across a variety of mom and pop shops, including independent bookstores, record stores, iconic bars, and famous bakeries. But Same Cafe still manages to stand out. The cafe's cornfield yellow walls, freshly cut wildflowers, and window tower garden take you out of the hustle of the city and into a place of comfort. Listen as Brad describes how he and Libby were first inspired to start their business.
1: Uh, let's see. So, Libby and I were college sweethearts. We started dating when we were both in college in different states, did the whole long-distance relationship yeah. thing, but we were grew up within 20 minutes of each other. Uh, our parents actually kind of knew each other. They were in similar fields. Uh, our dads were both in road construction, and moms were both school-related workers, and so uh, we just kind of... Fell into fell into each other and uh, started dating. And as soon as we graduated from college, it was like five minutes later. I think we got married, <laughs> and uh, we started looking for a place to volunteer uh, to you know give build community. We wanted to be you know part of that. That's just kind of how we were raised. We were both raised in somewhat religious households. Olivia was raised as a Catholic. I was raised in the Mennonite church, and so we we were taught to, you know, to do stuff for and with other people. So we started volunteering at soup kitchens and shelters and cooking and just got hooked uh, and wanted to figure out how to make that volunteer lifestyle and, and serving others into a more permanent full-time job or, or life, and that's how Same Cafe kind of came around.
2: After moving to Denver from central Illinois, Libby started teaching at a specialty school, and Brad contracted as a computer consultant. Still, neither one of them could shake the idea of creating their own space, somewhere where they could make a meaningful difference.
1: One day we were, we were flying back from a trip to Austin, Texas, and on the flight back, we were just like, um, we both had it, we're, we're done, we're ready to figure out what's gonna be next. So we took out the in-flight magazine and started writing down ideas, and like, well, what if we started a restaurant? Uh, but it can't be a regular restaurant. Restaurant workers, you know, they, the hours are terrible. You, know, you never see each other. Uh, but what if, we, you know, what if we started a restaurant that didn't have any prices and we could feed people who really needed and make a difference, not just you know, make a dollar. And so it was uh, a great brainstorming session and we, we landed uh, all inspired and decided to figure out if it was legal to make a, a nonprofit restaurant in, in Colorado, turns out it is. They don't recommend it <laughs> necessarily, but it's legal. You can do it.
2: <laughs> After landing on an idea they were both excited about, Libby and Brad had to figure out how to make their dream a reality. Listen as they describe some of their earliest challenges.
0: We tried to do our homework. We like tried to be as prepared as possible. I, I say we had no business starting a business, but I spent because I was a teacher. I spent all my summers researching all kinds of. You know, business plans and opening a restaurant in Denver and all the, all the crazy things. So I just, we did as much research as we possibly could ahead of time so that, you know, we went into it with oh, as much knowledge as we could mm-hmm. gather. <laughs> um, I wouldn't say we knew everything because we learned lots, but at least we had some kind of system and, and thought process to it. It, it was enough to you know, convince our parents that we had thought it through. Yeah.
1: So that when we took all the money out of our retirement accounts to start the cafe with that, they didn't totally freak out. <laughs> yeah. Were you guys doing both of like, you working still and then doing this? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I kept working all the way until we'd been open, the restaurant had been open for a year and a half. I was still doing at least part-time IT consulting on the side mm-hmm. and Libby kept teaching up until
0: Year three.
1: Year three, yeah. So we, we we're trying <laughs> to keep that safety net there and pay back the loan to our retirement accounts and
0: have uh, health insurance.
1: Keep health insurance and you know, yeah, make our mortgage payment all that stuff because we didn't take a salary from the cafe <laughs> okay. up until the other job. We, we quit the other job. That's when we started uh, right. getting paid here. So right. it's yeah, eighteen months for me, thirty-six months for Libby. So a lot of free, a lot of free volunteer work. <laughs> yeah.
2: In addition to some financial maneuvering, one of the most difficult parts of getting started was selling the city on an idea that had never been done before. As a non-profit restaurant, a lot of legal requirements weren't written for Libby and Brad's type of business.
1: I'd say for me the hardest part was uh, trying to paint a picture to the, the city and county government of what we were trying to do and figure out what requirements we had to follow because we weren't a non-profit We weren't a regular restaurant or full service restaurant. We were kind of this hybrid of in between and they really want you to be one or the other. And if you're a restaurant, then they want you to have a $250,000 build out plan of all these systems and extra things that were gonna be way beyond the scope of the foods that we were gonna be serving. And uh, so we were trying to navigate through all of that without having ever been through that process before. I don't know how people start restaurants that have never done it before on a shoestring budget because it just, it's, takes so long and there's so many uh, you know, different red tape areas that you have to navigate through. Uh, that we Until we finally had somebody take us under their wing and say, look, I'm going to take you from department to department and explain it for you in terms that they will understand. Uh, if it wouldn't have been for that, I, I don't know if we would have been able to even open by October, which means we would have run out of money because we were down to our last couple hundred bucks uh, by the time we finally opened the doors.
0: I would agree 100%. Even with all of the systems that the city and county put in place, it was still hard. Like they had a, you know, some kind of step-by-step flyer that you could pick up for opening a restaurant, which still was like reading a foreign language to us. I still didn't understand what it meant. <laughs> One of our last things was something about the ventilation in the space. There wasn't enough ventilation. And the first guy was like, You need to put in a $250,000 hood system, all these things. And Brad and I were like, Oh, yeah. we, that's, there's no way possible. And the next guy we got said, Just tell him you'll open the front door and install a fan in the back. Like, seriously? Okay, yes, that's what we're going to do. <laughs> but then it was like this, you just yeah. had to make sure you got the right yeah, person. $250 or you,
1: fan as opposed to a $250,000 exhaust. Yeah. Yeah. All because there's some 50-year-old law on the books about Legionnaire's disease that used to run rampant through old buildings because they didn't have enough recycled air. Or they were only, only having recycled, recycled air. air. They didn't yeah. have enough fresh air. Like, we have windows and doors, we'll open them.
0: Yes. So. But it was so, it was just... That whole process was really challenging.
2: After a couple of challenging years early on, Brad and Libby decided they would need to make a change if they were going to keep their business going. Here's Libby describing how she and Brad decided to drop their other commitments and focus on the cafe.
0: Well, we were working, you know, 10, 12, 15 hour days. Brad would, we'd we'd wake up in the morning and come here, and I'd come here before I went to school. And then I'd leave here after making pizza dough or prepping cookies or washing lettuce whatever it was and then i'd run over to school and i teach all day long and brad would be here with all the customers all day long and then at three o'clock when my kids left the classroom i'd grade as many papers as i could and then fly over here and we were closed so i would do all the cleanup brad would leave every dish in the dish bin i would do all the dishes i would make cookies for the next day i'd put away anything that he didn't put away because he'd already left to go to his other job right, yeah. so it was like two ships passing in the night I'd go pick him up at like 9 9 30 from his other job after we would finished everything here and he'd be like oh yeah let's do this again tomorrow <laughs> <laughs> and then it's crazy on Friday and Saturdays so Fridays we were open in the evening we were serving dinner Friday and Saturday night we did that for about six months Maybe a year, and then we were like, "Oh, that's a lot of work. We can't do that anymore." And we really weren't serving—we weren't serving that many customers. It wasn't really worth it to be open in the evenings. And at that point in time, this neighborhood has changed quite a bit since we opened. Um, But at that point in time, Colfax wasn't a destination for people. It wasn't a nighttime place you wanted to hang out. Um, So we had very few people who needed us or even wanted to support us. It was mostly like the guys who lived in the alley who would come and just, you know, kind of hang out for hours on end. And it was a good, it was a good space for them to be in, but there was also this like balance. Like we weren't getting the customers that we were really targeting. So we decided dinner was out. And that's probably when we realized, we started to like cut back on some things, you know, burning the candle at both ends only lasts for so long. So we both started to, you know, talk about making really hard decisions when we finally hired Brad and he stopped working two jobs, I mean, he took like a $60,000 pay cut. Um, And that's, I mean, it was just something we had to do. We either said, we're doing this or we're doing that. Like it was that kind of teeter-totter point where we said, either we're gonna really jump in and do this, or we're gonna back off and go back to our own lives. And we couldn't see that happening at all, so. No, we just yeah. we'd already been and <laughs> and kept too sucked forward. in by the,
1: the concept and it, I mean it's it's a lot of work but it's also a lot of fun. Yeah, We we have a different crew of people that we work with every day both uh, behind the counter and, and the folks that come in to volunteer for meals that work in the dining room. Uh, and then just you know, the, the customer base is always changing, new faces intermixed with the regulars so uh, you get to hear about you know, how Jack's day was and we find out you know who's got a job who's got a housing now you know what things have changed and it's it's a pretty awesome little group of people that we get to come and hang out with for lunch six days a week and we really get to kind of step outside of our own heads and be involved with this this larger group and it's, it's totally rewarding and a lot of fun most days
2: Talking to Libby and Brad, you start to hear the passion they have for the people they help. It's these people that bring their mission to life and make the $60,000 pay cuts and 15-hour workdays worth it.
0: So we have a pretty diverse group of people who dine here. I, I like to say it's the most diverse place you can dine in Denver. Um, it it looks different every day, but... Um, you know, we, we serve people who are able to pay $20 for their lunch, and we serve people who are able to pay $2 for their lunch, and everybody in between. So a lot of times folks ask us or, or say to us, you know, the dining room looks like it doesn't look like there's a whole lot of homeless people in there. What are you actually doing? Like, well, if you really knew the stories of these people, I think that's what is really interesting about what we do is that the face of of need and poverty in Denver is really diverse. And I don't think it's necessarily what people picture when they think of people in need of food access. Um, A lot of times people picture that kind of scruffy homeless guy on the corner who's flying a sign that says, we'll work for food and is pushing his shopping cart full of his belongings. Not to say we don't have customers who fit that description, Uh, but that's not the majority of people we serve. Because we ask people to participate and we ask people to build community with us, we have people here who want to be here. It's kind of a self-selecting process. For folks who are chronically homeless or are dealing with drug and alcohol addiction, um, we will certainly help them, but they have to want help. So there's that piece of, for most of the population of people who are chronically homeless, These are a lot of hoops to jump through, like knowing the fact that I would ask you your name, the fact that I want you to help, the fact that I want you to be clean and sober, the fact that I'm not going to let you, you know, just curse your way through your lunch. Um, This is a restaurant and we expect people to behave like they're in a restaurant. And so that part of the kind of hoops, I guess, um, some people just don't want to jump through those. There are a lot of services in this neighborhood that don't require anything that will give you free lunch without any strings attached, and you can be intoxicated, you can be high on meth, and they have no issue with that. We're a different kind of place. We want people to come in and dine with dignity, and that means that, you know, we're going to ask people to rise to the occasion. And so we have a lot of single moms, we have a lot of elderly folks on fixed income, we have a lot of young artists, musicians, um, people who would really like to shop at Whole Foods, but their pocketbook doesn't allow them to. People who understand the value of putting good food into their bodies but can't always make that happen. And so for those people having a safe place to eat that is clean and bright and friendly and we know your name and we care about you and we build community with you, that's something that we have found is a really unique, um, it's it's a huge need more so than just the healthy food access people need that community they need that safe space they need that um it's you know it's like if you go to starbucks and you get excited because your barista remembers your name or remembers your coffee order and you just think hey i belong here like there's that piece of you whether you say it to yourself or not you're like yep i fit in here there's no like i you know there's no question um and having that place for someone who has very few Places, other places besides home or work, um, and sometimes don't have home or work to have that um, kind of this little piece of, of dignity, I think is really important.
2: Libby told me that when she and Brad first started Same Cafe, they thought if they truly helped one person, they would feel that they've made a real difference. Now, serving hundreds of meals each month, they have countless stories of the people they've met and served. Listen as Brad tells the story of meeting Kid one of the cafe's first customers.
1: The first real difference that we know of, uh, so we opened in October of 2006, and then Denver, this, this area was just hit with snowstorm after snowstorm after snowstorm. And so our, it was pretty quiet around Colfax, and we didn't have a lot of customers coming in. But one of the people that was coming in here was a guy named Kidd. Who would come in and he would shovel the the walk out front and exchange for a meal and you know he when he first walked in, we were both a little intimidated he was a you know, big burly beard you know or bushy beard and you know, three or four coats and just pretty imposing looking guy um, and so and then he came up to the counter and ordered salad and yeah, he'd eat soup and pizza too if if he wasn't full, but really the salad was what most him because he wasn't able to get that anywhere else. He slept in the park because he didn't want to go to the shelters and you know, be around all that addiction and crime and all the fighting and everything. So he, he preferred to be in the park a couple blocks from here. Uh, so whenever it snowed, he was right out front, shoveling away. Sometimes and, he
0: was here before we were. <laughs>
1: yeah, everything would be cleared by the time we showed up and uh, in exchange for, uh, you know, a fresh salad and a slice of pizza uh, and, and
2: coffee and coffee well coffee. of course
1: yeah <laughs> need the need the hot coffee to warm you up and you know that, that went on for for months the whole winter of you know 2006 early 2007 and so we got to talking to him because we was here and there weren't a lot of other customers around and he, we found out that he'd been displaced by Hurricane Katrina he was in Denver because he'd been bused here um, didn't have anywhere else to go had no options for work because there wasn't anybody hiring at that time, so he was just doing the, the snow sh- the shoveling snow and um, was trying to save up money so that he could get back down to Katrina because he wanted to do hurricane cleanup. He had been a maintenance man in a church down there and was until the, the flood had been there. Uh, that's where he lived and where he worked and so he really wanted to get back down there and try to help clean things up. So he was saving his money every time he you know somebody gave him five bucks for shoveling their their driveway. He'd put it in his pocket and, and save it up. And uh, we kept asking him, "How's you know? How are things going? You know, are you getting any closer?" And well, yeah, but I had to buy new boots because my older ones fell apart. And uh, then somebody had you know
2: robbed beat him, him in the
1: park, beat him up, and taken his, his cash roll. And so he had to start over. And um, so we you know we we heard these and you know we feel these things as he's he's going through it. Um, and then one day. I'm at the front counter, and this little guy walks in, and he's uh, he's got a trucker hat on, and he's pretty clean shaven and fresh clothes, and uh, he slides his bus ticket across the counter. You know, he, it was it was kid, and he was all clean shaven, he'd showered, and he was fresh and ready to go. He had his bus ticket, and he was so proud that he had had this, and that he'd reached this goal that he just had to come and show us before he left town. So. I begged him, don't leave yet. <laughs> Libby's not working today, but she really wants to say goodbye. So he he came back on Saturday when she was off. Uh, and so she got to hug him and say goodbye. And uh, her parents were actually in town that weekend. So they got to see him and we took pictures together. And it was a, you know, just an amazing, feel-good day. And, I mean, and that, I think that solidified it for us. Like, this is really what we were put on this earth to do. You know, the universe drove us down this path and, and dropped us here in this spot on Colfax for a reason. And if if nothing else, you know, this was the guy. This was the one that we said and we served on and made a difference and we were good.
0: And he's like, that's one yeah story. I mean, there are, yeah. that, was, that was our first one that was like, oh wow, that was amazing and awesome and that is just overwhelmingly powerful. And since then we've had hundreds of those stories and that's that kind of that numbers piece where like i can give you numbers all day long but kid is the reason why we do this and the reason why we know it works and um, why we keep doing it because um you know you never know who is walking through the door is going to be the next kid like just even yesterday i had this guy come in and he had this he pulled a piece of paper out of his pocket and clearly had been folded, you know, hundreds of times. It was totally dirty and, and worn and the, you know, creases were crumbling and he laid it out on the counter and he said, am I in the right place? And I said, well, I don't know, what are you looking for? <laughs> and he, you know, reads off of this resource list that we're on that says, you know, same cafe. And then over here it says, not free meals, but you can exchange work in the kitchen for, for food. And I said, oh yeah, yeah, you're, you're in the right place. He said, how does it work? And so I explained it to him, and he said, well, I, I think I could do that. I think I could, I could do 30 minutes. And so I said, well, what would you like for lunch? And he was like, wait, I get to eat first? Said, sure, if you're hungry, like, that's what brought you here, right? Like, let's get you something to eat. So he ate, and he, he came back, and he, I put him on the dish station with another guy, and they, we had been really busy, and so we were way backed up. Like, every bus tub was full, and they just cranked out the dishes for half an hour. He was really quiet back there, just working, working, working. And you know, his thirty minutes is up and I said, Daniel, you're all done. Thanks for thanks for coming and helping. And he said, Can I shake your hand? I was <laughs> like, Sure you can. <laughs> so I shake his hand and he was like, I I really didn't know what to expect. The food was really good and you actually treated me like a human being. Thanks. And he clearly was a homeless guy, like smelled like he hadn't showered in days, and but we still give him an opportunity to have some personal dignity and he was just so grateful and you know, he's walking out, and he's like, "I, I think I, I think I'll come back here." He's like, "Great, that's, that's amazing." And those are, I mean, like, just having that human interaction. I think what I learn over and over here is that people are people, no matter their struggles in life. I mean, even the scary homeless guy who I was totally intimidated by, kid, when he walked in, is a human being who just needs a connection. I think that part for us is really what drives us to keep going. Is that. We need the connection as much as they do.
2: Increasing the cafe's impact means Libby and Brad continually need to find ways to reach and expand their audience. While neither Libby nor Brad would call themselves marketers, they have found ways to reach their supporters, volunteers, and donors effectively.
1: Early on, you know, we, we didn't have a marketing budget, and so we pretty much relied on word of mouth. And word of mouth included like the little neighborhood newspaper that picked up a story and just said, hey, this place is open on East Colfax. And that started bringing a few people around. And then that article led to one of the, in the you know, the Denver Post newspaper. And uh, so that brought a few more people in.
0: Uh, then we had but, the LA Times. And yeah. then, then the news kind of went national. We had lots of news coverage. That was really great. And we had people starting to like, Hey, how do I connect with you? I want to know about this. Tell me about this. Um, so we started writing newsletters. I'm pretty in sure, blogs. I, I'm pretty sure my mom and dad were the only people who read the first couple of ones. Maybe your mom and dad too. Yeah. Um, and then people were like, "Hey, I want to know more about this." Um, so we, you know, we do all the social media things. We, you know, we have our newsletter that we send out once a month, or we try really hard to.
1: We go around and we, we, you know, we're we're at events three or four nights a week where there's things going you know, around town that are dealing with food. If you're People are talking about food or dignity or access uh, to health. Yeah, um, we're there. We're we're there, and we're talking about the cafe. And we go to different organizations, and or, you know, up and down Colfax. If they have a you know a presentation time, we'll go in and just explain you know what the cafe is and how it can be a resource for the folks that are there. Um, and then we we also. Libby's gone and talked to the different uh, colleges around Denver and so we'll recruit college students who need volunteer hours so they can come down here and you know work five or ten hours and fulfill their requirements and also learn a little bit about yeah. uh, non-standard business models. I um, think a
0: lot of owning or being, you know, kind of the founders of this is it's a full time job all the time. Like even when we're not working, you're working. I think anybody who owns their own business knows that it's all the time. Um, and so you know, like even in our car I have flyers and informational folders and all kinds of things. Because you never know who you're gonna meet and talk to about what you do. So I always, you know, business cards and all those things. Um, But I I really feel like the more we share, um, we don't spend any money on marketing really. I mean, we we try really hard to make sure that um, the word gets out authentically. And it has worked for us. I mean, that's that's been the the best way of getting people in here because it is a unique business model, and I think you have to see it in order to believe it, really.
2: Since 2008, Libby and Brad have used email marketing as a way to keep in touch with their audience at least once a month. We get
1: feedback every month. People are actually reading the newsletter. They, they read about the events that we have coming up, and they want to know how they can sign up for the golf outing or the uh, seasonal meals, and it's, uh, it's a great way to let people know about board openings and everything else that we have to communicate that Facebook doesn't let you, <laughs> doesn't let, actually let you tell people, even though you put it out there. You know, you have 6,000 followers on Facebook, and 63 people saw that you posted about this event, and so it's uh, not, a not so audience.
0: effective. A audience. Yeah. Yeah. How
2: uh, often do you guys send it? Is that right?
0: once a month. We try to do it. I send it usually at the end of the month. Um, I don't like to inundate people with lots of stuff. And I tell them that when they sign up, I'm like, you're going to get one from us a month. If there's something big happening, you might get two, but that's never, it's only going to happen like once a year that you'll get two emails from us. Um, I feel like having some really authentic pathways to communicate with people are important, but also not overwhelming them with crap. We don't, we don't sell our list we don't share it with anyone it's just us um, and so you're just going to hear hopefully what you want to hear if you signed up for it it's at least you know information you cared about at one point so um, that that piece I think is really important to not overwhelm people with. We have um, the results to show that it, it works for us so I feel like that to me is the, the most um, efficient way of getting information to our our diverse Clientele because we have the people who support us, but also the people who need us. And so there's this, like, we have a very mixed audience. So having one avenue that I can reach all of them, I think is really important. And knowing that people actually click on it and read it and seeing the statistics makes it totally worth it. I mean, there's no other way to do that, I think. There's no other efficient, cost-effective way yeah, to do that. Yeah,
1: and it, I mean, it's, it's not the direct mail, which we...
0: Despise.
1: Just, yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, you're not buying or dispersing mail out to everybody in the
0: well. You're not wasting so uh, that they can
1: throw it away, and you're you know, killing trees. And you know, email's free. You don't have to have a post office box to be able to get an email. So all of our clientele can get the newsletter no matter what. Um, and it's just more. It's so much more effective than even you know, placing an ad in the local paper because. People who are getting our newsletter care about, you know, they asked to get the newsletter. So we know we're, we've got a built-in group there people who give a crap about what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if they don't, they can ups- unsubscribe. It makes the most sense. And it's really the only thing that makes sense for yeah. us because we, we, we have to get that information out somehow. And it's the only way that has worked for us.
2: Looking back on Same Cafe's decade-long journey, I'm struck by the number of times so many people would have given up and abandoned their dream. But through Brad and Libby's dedication, Same Cafe has become a mainstay in the community and an inspiration for other owners looking to fulfill a similar dream. Their belief in their mission, themselves, and in others allows them to make an impact greater than they could have ever imagined. I'll leave you with Libby and Brad's thoughts on what keeps a business running and where they see Same Cafe in another five years. What's the thing that keeps you going and keeps same successful? Do you think
0: a lot of hard work. I mean, I think owning your own business is hard. There, there isn't um, starting your own nonprofit, whatever you want to, whatever category you want to put us in. It, it, this type of work is twenty-four hours a day, seven days a week, and you have to be really committed to and passionate about the cause. Because there are days when you don't want to do it. There are days when it, isn't very fun and there are days when you know things stop working and you have to be a plumber and an electrician and an accountant and uh you know kitchen worker and um and those days are trying but it's i think that piece of it makes it work that you're willing to
1: yeah just i mean constant attention staying you know, staying on top of it and just like Growing, you know, tending a garden at home or a a successful marriage—it always takes constant attention and working on it, and uh, making sure the little things are are done, and and definitely making sure the big things are getting done. You you can't just sit by idly and and just expect it to take care of itself. Where do you guys see
2: same five years?
0: This is a tough one because Denver is really in transition right now. There's a lot of change happening. Um, lots of people moving here, like 10,000 people a month move to Denver. Um, so it's really different than it was even a year ago or two years ago. Uh, so it's it's very hard to predict. If there is a need in this community, I hope Same Cafe is here five years from now. I, I that would be amazing if it was, you know, if we were still here making awesome soup, salad, and pizza. Um, but I'm also really cognizant of the fact that Denver's a different place than it was a while ago. So we we want to be flexible. We want to be open and making sure that we're listening to what our customer base really needs and where, where our customer base is. Because it might not be here anymore. I mean, five years from now, this neighborhood could look really even more different than it does right now. So we want to be open to
2: that. We appreciate you listening and would love to hear what you think of the show. Please go to iTunes or Stitcher right now and leave us a review. Small Biz Stories is produced by myself and Miranda Paquette with editing by 24 Sound. You can contact us at podcast at constantcontact.com. Small Biz Stories is brought to you by Constant Contact. Constant Contact is committed to helping small businesses and nonprofits connect to new and existing customers with email marketing. You can be a marketer. All it takes is Constant Contact. Find out more at ConstantContact.com. Small Biz Stories is brought to you by Constant Contact. Constant Contact is committed to helping small businesses and nonprofits connect to new and existing customers with email marketing. You can be a marketer. All it takes is Constant Contact. Find out more at ConstantContact.com.